Henry Scougal was born in Scotland in 1650. He grew up in a Christian family. His father was the Bishop of Aberdeen for over 20 years. He served as a pastor and a professor of divinity at King's College. There came a time when Henry had a friend who was in need of understanding Christianity and needing spiritual counsel. In order to show his love and affection for his friend, Henry wrote a lengthy pastoral letter explaining the faith. In the beginning of the letter, he states, This, therefore, is the most popular instance wherein I can vent my affection and express my gratitude towards you, and I shall not any longer delay the performance of the promise I may do to this purpose. For though I know you are provided with better helps of this nature than any I can offer you, nor are you like to meet with anything here which you knew not before, yet I am hopeful that what cometh from one whom you are pleased to honor with your friendship, and which is more particularly designed for your, for your use, will be kindly accepted by you. And God's providence perhaps may so direct my thoughts that something or other may prove useful to you. Henry could not have imagined uh, what would happen by God's providence with this letter. Uh, this letter, although it was written simply for the personal use of a friend, uh, was copied based upon its merits and eventually ended up in the hands of uh, Gilbert Burnett, uh, a professor of divinity at Glasgow. Uh, Burnett was able to get permission to publish the letter in 1677, around a year before Henry would have unfortunately passed away at the young age of 28 from tuberculosis. Uh, the letter was given the title, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. So fast forward a few years. It's now 1735, and a young man named Charles, whose mother, Susanna, had enjoyed this book, the letter, and had recommended it to her sons. Charles decided to give his, this book to his friend George. Uh, he gave him The Life of God and the Soul of Man. George had decided that he wanted to pursue a life where he obeyed God and sought after holiness and, and self-discipline. In the attempt to not live under the compulsion of the flesh, George decided to quit doing some of the things that he enjoyed most in life, the Oxford Holy Club, where he had met Charles and John. Upon reading the book that Charles had given him, George said, "'I really wanted to know God and be assured of salvation.'" But even strict discipline didn't seem to help. God showed me, in school's writings, that I must be born again. And George also said, I never knew what true religion was till God sent me that excellent treatise. The young man was Charles Wesley, and his friend was George Whitfield. Henry's personal letter that was meant for a friend and written a generation prior was a spark the Lord used to draw George Whitfield to himself and even others as, as Whitfield was part of the Great Awakening. So what was it about this letter that was so influential? Schugel articulates a reality of the Christian faith uh, we can sometimes forget. That's union with Christ. And so th this is a, a bit of a long quote, but it's helpful. Um, in the beginning of his letter, Schugel says, I cannot speak of religion 
but I must lament that among so many pretenders to it, so few understand what it means. Some placing it in the understanding, in orthodox notions and opinions, and all the account they can give of their religions is that, is that they are of this and that other persuasion and have joined themselves to one of those many sects whereinto Christendom is most unhappily divided. Others place it in the outward man, in a constant course of external duties, in a model of performances. If they live peaceably with their neighbors, keep a temperate diet, observe the returns of worship, frequenting the church or their closet, and sometimes extend their hands to the relief of the poor, they think they have sufficiently acquitted themselves. Others, again, put all religion in the affections, in rapturous hearts, in ecstatic devotion, and all they aim at is to pray with passion and think of heaven with pleasure and to be affected with those kind of melting expressions wherewith they court their Savior till they persuade themselves they are mightily in love with him and from offense assume a great confidence of their salvation which they esteem the chief of Christian graces. Thus are these things which have any, any resemblance of piety and at the best are but means of obtaining it or particular exercises of it frequently mistaken for the whole of religion. Nay, sometimes wickedness and vice pretend to that name. I speak not now of those gross impieties wherewith the heathens were wont to worship their gods. There are but too many Christians who would consecrate their vices and follow their corrupt affections, whose ragged humor and sullen pride must pass for Christian severity, whose fierce wrath and bitter rage against their enemies must be called holy zeal, whose Petulancy towards their superiors or rebellion against their governors must have the name of Christian courage and resolution. But certainly, religion is quite another thing, and they who are acquainted with it will entertain far different thoughts and disdain all those shadows and false imitations of it. They know by experience that true religion is a, is a union of the soul with God, a real participation of the divine nature, the very image of God drawn upon the soul, or in the apostles' phrase, it is Christ formed within us. Briefly, I know not how the nature of a religion can be more fully expressed than by calling it a divine life, and under these terms I shall discourse of it, showing first how it is called a life and then how it is termed divine. So Schugel defines religion as the union of the soul with God. Last week we were reminded that the source of our righteousness is not found in any of our own good works, that we're unable to draw upon the depths of our own good works in order to save us because after we draw upon them, they are found to be useless. And the act of even drawing upon our own good works is an evil act in itself. Um, we do not need to be looking to add to our spiritual resume to try to convince God to, to love us, to convince God to provide us with salvation. Um, instead, the source of our righteousness uh, the source upon which we draw holiness and virtue is, is Jesus Christ. And so this week, we're going to delve into uh, the reality of what it means to be found in Christ. We're going to focus on the last portion of what we looked at last week, verses 7 to 11. Uh, being found in Christ is the goal to which Paul was so willing to lose everything. He says, for this sake I, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, 
and be found in him. So what is it to be found in Christ? Being found in Christ is to have unity, to have our unity with Christ as our defining identity. Being found in Christ is, is priceless. Um, and being found in Christ is to know him and share with him. So if you haven't already, turn to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Lord, our, our desire this morning is that we'd be uh, found in you. Uh, Lord, I ask that as we look at your word that uh, we would be drawn towards you, would be uh, convicted uh, in our hearts, that um, by your grace you provide us with faith, that we would repent and believe and, and turn from our ways and turn towards you. Um, we thank you for this time and I pray this in your name. So being found in Christ is to have our unity with Christ as our defining identity. This is one of those things that as you begin to see it, uh, you, you see it everywhere. Uh, so being in Christ is spoken repeatedly throughout the New Testament in, an, in a variety of different ways. Uh, so consider the way that Paul addresses the people as he writes a few of his letters. First uh, Corinthians 1 verse 2 to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. In Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. In Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. It can be easy to read over these introductions and uh, address, as he addresses the people. Um, don't miss the importance here. Paul often addresses the churches as being in Christ. So this is the identity of those who have repented and believed. They're in Christ. So what does that mean? 
Being in Christ is to have Jesus Christ represent you. Uh, as an example, consider uh, David and Goliath. As you have the shepherd boy, David, who goes to the war and the armies are, are facing each other down. They've decided to have two people fight to see who's going to win between the two nations. You have Goliath, who represents the Philistine nation. If Goliath wins, that means the Philistines win. And you have David, who's representing the Israelites. And if David wins, then Israelites win. So when David wins, because of the power of God, it's a victory for all of Israel. So David represented Israel in that battle. So Israel receives all the benefits from the victory that David won. David's victory was also Israel's victory. In a similar way, those who are in Christ have Jesus as their representative so that we receive the benefits of everything that Jesus has accomplished for us. And this is why Paul is able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So if Jesus represents you and Jesus was crucified, received the wrath of God for our sin, then you have been crucified with Christ as well. The, the accomplishment of Jesus on the cross is yours to enjoy. If you are a Christian, you have been crucified with Christ because you are in him as he represents you. And this is not only true for the death of Christ, but also true for the resurrection. Romans 6.3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So being, being united to Christ includes the, the resurrection from the dead. The accomplishment of of Jesus and defeating death is a victory that we get to receive as our own because of the representation of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Not, any, not out of anything that we've done because of what Jesus has done. And one of our favorite verses that, that we like to speak about often here is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ obtain every part of the life of Christ. So they receive the, the perfect accomplishment of his sinless life. They experience the forgiveness of sin as been paid on the cross by Christ. They receive the resurrection from the dead and, and eternal life. This isn't, I don't think it's that great of an analogy, but another way to think about this is um, imagine getting yourself into a car. You, you are incapable on your own to, maybe John could run 70 miles per hour, but I can't run 70 miles per hour. <laughs> when I get in the car, I'm able to 
sit in the car and, and go 70 miles per hour because the car is capable of doing that for me. I, I can't get from one location to that location that fast. I get to receive the benefits of being in the car and I'm actually going 70 miles per hour at that point. Um, I'm also protected from the rain, the, the wind. I receive the benefits from being in the car even though I'm incapable of doing what it does. Um, the Lord provides us with his accomplishments and grants to us his benefits. Jesus lived the perfect life for us, so we benefit from his righteousness. As we're made to be actually righteous and holy and blameless in the sight of God. And Jesus died the death that sinners deserve, so we benefit from his death in that our sin is completely paid for, completely paid for, done. We receive the benefit of, of Jesus rising from the dead, the benefit of resurrection, the benefit of eternal life. We are completely changed people by having our identity in Christ. We're new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. With being a new creation and being found in Christ, there is also yet another reality, and that is Christ in you. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? We can be like the Corinthian people and, and forget this or, or not realize this about ourselves. Um, that those who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ have the spirit of Christ living within them. This truth that unity with the Lord provides you with the power to resist temptation, resist sin. The Spirit provides you with the ability to walk in godliness and in purity. Galatians 2.20, again, Paul said, I, I have been crucified with Christ and being represented by Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you are saved, do you realize this about yourself? That Christ is in you. The Holy, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you is a reality to be enjoyed as you have communion with God, as you are found in him. The truth of Christ dwelling within you has, has implications upon then how we live our life. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So now that we are hidden, Christ, we experience the benefits of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So now we are to live in a way that glorifies God. We are owned by God. And so we, we do not get to do whatever it is that we desire. There's temptation that we'll face in life. 
Um, one particular temptation that we face in life is to unify ourselves with something other than the Lord. Uh, we can be tempted to be found in something other than Christ. Um, we, this is a temptation that we see pretty clearly in our society today. Uh, the desire to be found in something. Um, there, there's a number of different causes uh, in the world. Um, people wanting to be found in, in this or that cause, to be, the desire is to find righteousness in that. The desire is to uh, be found on the right side of history, as they would say. Um, and so then there can be a, a, a virtue signaling of, I'm, I'm in this cause, and there can be a desire and attraction to try to find righteousness and being found in this other thing. Righteousness does not come from a cause. Righteousness is from Christ. Um, don't place your hope in being found in the cause of the day. Place your hope in being found in Christ. This is the temptation to place our identity in something other than Jesus Christ. Uh, to have that identity then drive our thoughts, our decisions, and our behavior. And this is why, as James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What fellowship has light with darkness? None. Sin is a uniting yourself with something that is in opposition to God. So be careful to, to watch over your heart and mind. Be careful with what you allow yourself to be united with and remember that if you're saved, you're in, you are united with Christ and, and that is where you find your righteousness, is being united with him. Ephesians three fourteen to 19 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the, the virtues and causes of the day do not fill you with righteousness or fill you with the fullness of God. Righteousness and being filled with the fullness of God comes from Christ dwelling within you through faith. Uh, to be filled with the fullness of God, that is remarkable. Um, Christ dwelling in your heart through faith, that, that is remarkable. That, that will define your life. Um, and so unity with Christ marks the life of a Christian as we will then be found in him. Secondly, being found in Christ is priceless. Um, it's priceless. The, the magnificence of God is far beyond anything that we can think or imagine. Um, even if you were to have every earthly treasure possible, it would still not compare with the surpassing worth of Jesus. Uh, recently, uh, NASA has a new telescope. I don't know if you saw these pictures. The, the web uh, telescope 
re recently released some high-quality uh, pictures of the universe. And I, I love that sort of stuff. So they shared the first images. Um, listen to the way that NASA describes this image of galaxies. They say, if you held a grain of sand up to the sky at arm's length, that tiny speck is the size of Webb's view in this image. Imagine galaxies galore within a grain. The heavens declare the glory of God. The incomprehensible greatness of our God is far beyond what we can fathom or understand. And so saying that unity with Christ is priceless, it's true, it's also it's an, under, it's an understatement. Our language cannot express the full magnitude of the wondrous nature of who God is. And this is why Paul counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. There is no thing that we can have that comes remotely close to comparison with having the Lord Jesus. Even the picture of all of those galaxies that were within the grain view, um, even if we had all of that at our own disposal, God, God created all that, which means he's far beyond it. He's far beyond uh, the universe, beyond all of creation. So everything is worth losing to gain Christ and to be found in him, even to count all things as rubbish in order to be found in him. Henry Skugel says this in his letter that he wrote to his friend. The love of God is a delightful and affectionate sense of the divine perfections which makes the soul resign and sacrifice itself wholly unto him, desiring above all things to please him and delighting in nothing so much as in fellowship and communion with him and being ready to do or suffer anything for his sake or at his pleasure. This is why Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Everything else in life is worthy of being lost in order to gain that treasure, in order to gain the, the kingdom of, of heaven. All that we have in life is worth losing in order to gain Christ. Is there anything that you are holding on to? When, when you look at all the things you have in life, is there anything that you are not willing to lose in order to gain Christ? I know I can struggle with this personally. I, I desire to store up treasures on earth, uh, whether it's earthly possessions or relationships with friends, family, a reputation standing among others. The list could go on. Um, seeing the surpassing worth of Christ sets you free from trying to gather all these things up for yourself. Um, these things that we like to hold on to and don't last. You can't take anything with you. Um, having a relationship with the Lord, having 
righteousness that is given to us by God far outweighs anything that we can have in life. And what this means is that there, there is suffering in the Christian life. Following the Lord and having a relationship with him will cost us. Persecution and hardship are, are a part of the Christian life. But it is worth it because of the surpassing worth of Jesus. There is something we can all find encouragement in here. When there are these hardships and trials, persecutions, tragedies, difficulties that we face in life, we can have courage in knowing that we have Christ, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who gently placed the stars and the galaxies in the sky with his fingertips, and that our righteousness does not depend upon ourselves, but depends upon him. Lastly, being found in Christ is to know him and share with him. And so in verse 10, Paul says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So this, this is the desire of Paul, that he would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection. What is the power of the resurrection? The power of the resurrection is the power of God to, to set sinners free from sin and death, to provide them with the ability to put the deeds of the flesh to death and to live by the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within them to accomplish all of what is pleasing to God. So the power of the resurrection is at work in us to, to make us holy, setting our lives apart for him. The power of the resurrection provides us with strength and, encourage, and in, strength and courage to endure whatever we face in life. And it will culminate at the day of Christ as those who believe in Jesus are, are risen from the dead given eternal life. And so Paul is desperately longing for the time when this will come to pass, where he would be in this glorified state like Christ. And Paul doesn't care what it takes for him to become like Christ. He's willing to suffer the loss of all things, even die for the sake of Jesus. He says, by any means possible, we share in the benefits of Christ just as we share in the sufferings of Christ with the purpose of becoming more like him. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We should expect to suffer along with Jesus as he suffered the hatred of the world. Jesus was lied about, he was looked down upon, he was beaten and put to death. And many throughout history have also suffered these same things because of their love for Jesus. A man named Walter Mill suffered martyrdom in Scotland in 1558 because of his belief in the gospel. Walter had been a Roman Catholic priest but was convicted of idolatry within the Roman Catholic Mass, and he fled to Germany. 
After spending some time in Germany, he then returned to Scotland where he was arrested because of his Protestant beliefs and because he was married. And priests weren't supposed to do that. And so he was sentenced to be burned at the stake. Listen to this account from Fox's Book of Martyrs. This steadfast believer in Christ was 82 years of age and exceedingly infirm. Whence it was supposed that he could scarcely be heard. However, when he was taken to the place of execution, he expressed his religious sentiments with such courage and at the same time composure of mind as astonished even his enemies. As soon as he was fastened to the stake and the wood lighted, he addressed the spectators as follows. The cause why I suffer this day is not for any crime, though I acknowledge myself a miserable sinner, but only for the defense of the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And I praise God who hath called me by his mercy to seal the truth with my life, which as I received it from him, so I willingly and joyfully offer it up to his glory. Therefore, as you would escape eternal death, be no longer seduced by the lies of the seat of Antichrist, but depend solely on Jesus Christ and his mercy that you may be delivered from condemnation. Those who claim Christ should expect to share in the sufferings of Christ. But remember, even though we will share in the sufferings of Christ, we also share in the benefits of his victory. His victory over sin, his victory over death. Romans eight sixteen to 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We share in the inheritance of, of Jesus when we're found in him. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you are someone who has repented of your sin and, and believed in Jesus Christ, eternal life is, is your inheritance. Eternal life with the Lord. The resurrection from the dead. If we died with Christ and being unified with him in the cross, we will also be raised with him as we share in both his sufferings and his glory. So do you know the Lord? Jesus says in his prayer in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that you know, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have, you have sent. So this knowledge or lack of knowledge will define your life. It will define your eternity. God is gracious and good. Uh, he has pursued after mankind by, by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for sin, rise again from the grave. Um, if you have not already, I, I would plead with you to turn and repent, to believe in Jesus Christ, taste and see the surpassing worth 
of Jesus. Be united in him. Be found in him. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed by you. We're, um, it, you are magnificent. You are uh, so far beyond us. It's, we don't have words to, or thoughts to comprehend how great you are. Um, you are the God who has placed galaxies upon galaxies in the sky for your own glory. Uh, You have, in your love, pursued after people who have rebelled against you as sinners like us. Uh, You have decided to be gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate to to us out of uh, your own love. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ uh, to, to live among us, to die for us, to rise again from the grave that those who repent and believe may have, may have life, may be found in him, may receive the benefits that Jesus has accomplished, um, that we may be seen and be completely righteous and holy in your sight because of his work, um, receiving the benefit of eternal life with you. Help us to not lose sight of this truth, that we would live our lives remembering that we are united with you, us and you and and, and Christ living in us. Uh, Lord, we're grateful. Uh, Pray this in your name. Amen.